0: Okay, people. Tonight's Garden of Emuna class. The title, title is Emuna, faith. Is it objective or subjective? That's the question. Is faith an objective thing or is it subjective? And obviously, we'll explain what that question means. But let's begin with something from our parsha. This week's Torah portion opens up with. The story of the spies. Shlach lecha God tells Moses, "Send lecha." What does the word lecha mean? Rashi always has the opinion, just like in this famous portion of lech lecha, "Go to you." What do you mean, "Go to you"? So Rashi always has the opinion when it says lecha in such a situation, it means for your sake. Over here, Rashi says, "Shlach lecha." Rashi's is, L'daytcha. That. Your mind. Your opinion. What is going on here? Simply, Hashem is telling Moshe Rabbeinu, I am not commanding this. Not me. It's, Shlach lecha, L'daytcha. You want, you do it. I'm not stopping you. But it's your choice, not mine. And Rashi goes on to explain that Hashem is saying why is because we don't talk about God this way, but if we're going to use uh, you know humanistic terms, God is upset. Why don't they trust me? What is there to check out? If the land is good, I told them it's good. If they're capable of conquering it, what, they don't trust me? after all that's happened in Egypt, all the miracles, everything, don't they know by now, if I make a promise, I keep my promise? I'm capable of keeping my promises? That's the simple Rashi classical commentary in France of the 11th century that says that, and he goes on to explain that. I'm not, not only that, but you should know that if you do send them, God makes an oath that I'm going to leave an open door for them to slip through. And the rest of the story is history, as you know. They slip through that door, 10 of 12. Which leaves us with some serious questions. Number one, Moses hears that. Why did not you just come back down and say, guys, (laughs) call off the plans. Why? What? We we want... I hear you. God is not stopping us. But God is not happy with this. So we will not be doing this. Simple question, right? Moses, the trusted servant of God, sees that God is not happy. You know, when you have kids. So the kids that really care about the parents' feelings, if they see that they're nudging the parents, and the parents like say, okay, fine. Then they realize the parents don't want but they just, enough. So the good child, the child that's sensitive to the parents, is going to say, you know what? Forget it. Mommy or Tati's not happy about this. Forget it. We won't do it. I know you gave me permission, but I know you're not happy. I'm not doing it. Definitely Moses had that relationship with God. What's even more interesting is that later it says that these are the spies he sent by the word of God. I believe that's in the verse. So that's the question. So I heard from the Rebbe of oh Blessed Memory an amazing answer upon which tonight's Garden of Amuna class is founded. The Rebbe explains that the deeper interpretation of the word Leditra, I am not commanding you, but I am allowing you, actually was a very, very interesting lesson that God was giving Moses on how to be an educator. What does that mean? What that means is as follows. to play on the word. God's telling Moses, if I command them to send spies, or if I stop them send spies then the feelings they will have to the land of Israel won't be theirs it'll be my feelings that I'm commanding them to have but if I want them to develop their own personal feelings then I need them to go about it their way I'm gonna say that again because this is the thrust in the heart of tonight's whole class, whether faith is meant to be objective or subjective. So I'm going to go over this again. L'daytcha, <laughs> it has to be according to their perception. Because if I command them, then it isn't their perception, they're submitting to my perception. So God's saying that I commanded that this is the good land. This is the land of honey and milk. This is what I've promised you, milk and honey. This is what I've promised you. And I want you to love the land. Once that becomes a commandment from God, then it's no more our personal feelings. We are submitting our personal feelings for God's feelings. Let's quote the Mishnah, in Ethics of Our Fathers, Pirke Avot, make His will your will, or nullify your will for His will, that means that either way it's not my will. It's His will. And I'm subjugating my will for His will. So if God commands us, you must love the land of Israel, then what happens? What happens is it's not my love, It's the love that God commanded me to have. But were God not to command me to have this love, would I have this love? So is it my love or is it a mitzvah love, an objective love that God has commanded and I have no say in the matter? Thus I will drill it into me. I love the land. Do you really love the land? What's the difference? I love the land. God said to love the land. I love the land. Let's end it there. So therefore God tells Moses if you want to be the right type of teacher and the focus is on the student then what we need you to do is we need you to back off. We need you to do L'daytcha. We need you to let them work it out their way so it will be their feelings. And thus at the end of the story, what ends up happening is that even though it costed forty years in the desert, nevertheless, that was the price to pay for the da'itcha. I want to tell you a story, right? Chassidim explain things by stories. There's a story told. The Rebbe, blessed memory, actually told the story and explained it. There's a story told of the great Arizal, the holy Rabbi Isaac Luria. That one Erev Shabbat, one Friday, he told his students, he would have the custom as old Kabbalists that would go out into the field and sing the Lachadodi, made by Rabbi Shlomo Al Kabez. They would greet the Shabbat. And where did he live? He lived in Svat, as you know, right? The Arizal was in Svat. He told his students as follows He told his students, come. Let's go to Yerushalayim and let's accept Shabbat in Yerushalayim. The students, according to Halacha, especially at Talmud Chacham, can't disappear from his wife Friday night without her permission. So he goes ahead and they answer the students, not he, they answer Darizal, okay, let us get permission from our wives. Darizal said, forget it, no reason to go. And then Darizal says as following. Darizal says, if you would have just gone with me with absolute faith in your teacher and we would have accepted Shabbat in Yerushalayim, we would have brought Mashiach right then and there. And then the Rebbe goes on, that's the story. And then the Rebbe goes on by the Fabringen to talk about the story. Since Rav Isaac Luria on that Shabbat, there has been So much Jewish bloodshed, so much suffering, so much exile that Rizal must have known all of this. Imagine how he felt that his students botched it up. We could have saved the day, could have been all over. Mashiach could have come in that Rizal's times. Done. If they just would have said, Teacher knows the halacha. He knows that we're not supposed to leave without permission from our wives. If he asked us, then probably it's okay. So let's just say yes. Where's our Amunah in our Rebbe, in our tzaddik? And because they botched that up, Moshiach didn't come that Shabbat. Because Moshiach didn't come that Shabbat in that year when Riza lived in Tzvas, before all the suffering of World War One, World War II, the Holocaust, everything. It all happened. And it could have all been saved. So the Rebbe's question by the was, how did that Rizal feel? And listen to the Rebbe's answer. The Rebbe's answer is that Rizal was a true teacher. The true teacher is focused on the student. So the true teacher is focused on, I thought you guys were ready. You're not ready? Okay, tell me where you're up to and let's start there. Let me go over that again. It's not about the teacher's perspective. It's not about shoving the teacher's perspective down the student's throat. It's about hearing the student. It's about understanding the student. Where are you up to? What do you feel about this? Thus, rizal wasn't upset because it was never about him. It was about the students. I thought you were ready. You're not ready? Fine. Tell me where you're up to and that's where I'll start with you. L'daytcha. What an amazing insight into this week's Torah portion. Not that God didn't want the spies. God's telling Moses, I know this is going to cost us 40 years in the desert, an entire generation changeover. Think about it. If they would have entered in the desert, then Moses would have gone in. If they would have entered into Israel, Moses would have gone in. It was only because of the 40 years, in the 40th year, they're hitting the rock. Moses lost his right to go in. Imagine how much damage was done. But Hashem's telling Moshe Rabbeinu, are you a teacher? Then back off. Let the students develop. Now let's go back to the title of tonight's class. Faith. Objective or Subjective? Want to tell you an interesting concept? I heard this from the Rebbe, blessed memory, by one of the conventions that uh, the Rebbe spoke—the Shabbos for bringing of the week of the convention uh, for the Shluchim in December, usually around Thanksgiving weekend—is over Shchodes Kislev. It's the Shabbat uh, before Shchodes Kislev or the Shabbat of Shchodes Kislev. That Shabbat, we always have the convention. All the Shluchim come, and the Rebbe would. One of the sikhs that are in or more than one sikh, one talk, would be directed towards the shlochem. This time, the Rebbe spoke about this concept. The Rebbe played on a gematria. The word shliach means emissary. And this is the words the Rebbe said. We learned in Tanya, we spoke about it in this class, in this uh, platform many times, that every single person has ten faculties three intellects, and seven emotions. We spoke about that previously, correct? Now, the Rebbe said like this, take the word shliach plus the number 10 for the faculties of the shliach, and what do you equal with? Mashiach. It's very simple. Shliach is shin yud ches, they both have, but shliach has a lamed, which is 30, mashiach has a mem, which is 40. So if you add on 10 to the shliach, what do you have? Mashiach and the Rebbe went on to explain what is the definition of Mashiach the definition of Mashiach is when you open up your ten faculties being able to perceive the word of God let's talk a little bit more Kabbalah and then we're going to talk straight about Emunah in the world of Kabbalah You have the infinite lights of Tohu. If you're familiar with these words, fine. If not, I'm not going to turn this into a whole Kabbalah class right now. But there are the infinite lights of Tohu. And those infinite lights of Tohu were in vessels that could not contain them because of the power of the lights of Tohu. So the vessels shattered. And they fell down into this world. And that's why you may have heard Many times the word birur always elevate the spark, the godly spark. Where did that godly spark come from? That godly spark came from the shattering of the vessels of Tohu. Now in the world of Chabad Chasidis, one of the major focuses over and over again is that our job is to be able to bring the infinite lights of Tohu into the finite vessels of tikkun. What does that mean? Tikkun means orderly. Orderly means finite capacity. Everything has its boundaries, where it begins and where it ends. For example, let's take two emotions, strictness and benevolence, kindness. They're contrary. But in the world of tikkun, each one has its boundaries. You need to know when to be kind, You need to know when to be strict. You need to know when justice is called for. You need to know when compassion is called for. And justice and compassion and benevolence in the world of tikkun each understand that. Thus, they each understand that they're not infinite, they're each finite, they each have their place. That is what represents the human being. The human being always knows that it is a compilation of different type of emotions, each one has its finite definition, and we need to know when's the right place, how much, so forth and so on. You get into a lot of trouble when you just justice or when you don't know when to stop. Many, many fights, especially domestically, happen when one is right and one is wrong, and the one that's right doesn't know when to stop. Interesting. So in the world of tikkun, everything has a finite definition. Now the name of the game is, can we bring the infinite light of tohu into the finite vessels of tikkun? The human being, we, with our finite capacities. Can we open up our vessels for the infinite light of tohu? Can we experience an infinite moment, which by itself is a dichotomy? If it's a moment, it's not infinite. If it's infinite, it's not a moment. Can we experience an infinite moment? Can we understand that the parameters of halacha give everything a specific dimension and yet the intention, the emotion, the experience is infinite? So davening has a specific time when you start and when you end. What you say and what you don't say. But the relationship, the communication that goes on in those finite pages should be infinite. And this goes on with every single mitzvah. For the women lighting candles, there's a moment when to light the candles. A moment too late and don't light it because you're actually doing a sin. But that one moment of doing it right, in the right way, when you cover your eyes, you make the blessing, that's an infinite moment. The lights of Tohu in the world of Tikkun. If we want to go back to words you've heard from me in the past, can we fit the Absolute into relativity? Which, by the way, my friends, before we go to faith specifically, that's what we do as Jews all day long. We take the absolute laws of Torah and we fit it into the human life of relativity. We're no more in the desert, in an absolute environment of mana, clouds, miracles, no obligations of, of relationships with other countries and all the domestic and all those issues. That was the absolute fitting into the absolute. But then began the time where six days a week you will work and the economy economy will crash and you'll go through all the bayot, all the problems. And then there's the relationships and there's this and there's that. And uh, yeah, we're only human. You're right, we're only human. But can we take the absolute laws of Torah and bring it into the human laws of relativity? Many of you have been hanging around with me lately, heard this. I've been living this life and trying to teach my kids to live this life lately. You've heard it from me before. It's called the KISS rule. Keep it simple, sweetie. Relativity, absolute. Where did they meet? In simplicity. As my grandmother would say, Zanish kan ibechuchim, don't be smarter than thou. Just be simple. If this is what you need to do, do it. But when did I do it perfect? Just do it. Absolute, fitting into the laws of relativity. Infinite, fitting into the finite. Tohu, fitting into Tikkun. That's Mashiach. And the whole thrust that the Rebbe spoke about in that talk to the Shluchim was that at this point, you don't need to ask me over and over every single detail. After so many years, of learning and working at it. At this point, use your own ten faculties. Let me tell you one more answer of the Rebbe. Many times the Rebbe would tell Shluchim when the Rebbe spoke about a certain issue and the Shluchim would write to the Rebbe how the Rebbe wants it done. The Rebbe would answer according to the conditions of that place. What what do you mean? Torah is absolute. What kind of conditions? What kind of place? Torah is Torah. No. There are different conditions in different places which demands different applications. That is what we call in the world of Hasidus. Chasidim are very focused on this. The intention and the message is that of the Rebbe. I'm talking about in the, the emissary, in the emissary world. But the wording and the language needs to be that of the student. Got what I'm saying? The message isn't my message. The message is the message of a tzaddik who's telling me what it says in the Torah. But the language, the delivery, needs to be that of the student. Because if it isn't that of the student, then you're not getting across. Let's go back to how we started tonight. ledaitcha it's about the students, you know, in, uh, in different uh, therapies, a lot of times in relationship issues, they have this whole thing. In the seven habits, they have that, right? One of the seven habits is seek first to understand before being understood. And they have this little Indian stick. And what it is is that there was a certain Indian tribe that whoever held the stick, got to talk. Now, before the second person gets to talk, he has to first make sure he understood what was said. You have that in relationships therapies many times, that the rule is that after A talks, B cannot talk until B s- tells A what A heard, what B heard A say. You'll be surprised how often what A said and what B heard isn't the same. You've probably all played as children, broken telephone. That is child's play compared to marriage and relationships. That's when we're talking big time, broken telephone. What well, you didn't say, but the way you said it, you said the same thing, but in different words. <laughs> but you thought and you meant, and you, you think I'm stupid. I know exactly what you were saying. <laughs> it's one of the hardest things to tell someone, can you just hear what I'm saying instead of knowing what I'm saying or knowing what I'm thinking or knowing what I'm, can I'm just saying what I'm saying, is that possible? That's what God was telling Moses. Ledaitra, it needs to be what the student is hearing. Now let's get to faith. Let's get to Emuna. There is an absolute objective emuna. Faith. Boom, period. It is what it is. It is what's written in, we have trust, of duties at our heart. It's what's written in all the great big books and the holy books. It's the Torah's ideological, objective concept of faith. This is what Jews believe. But then there's the, what do I believe? You see, there's the shliach, going back to the talk of the Rebbe. There's a the shliach. By definition, shliach in halacha, in Jewish law, is an extension of the mishaleach. So if Mr. A tells Mr. B, I want you to go to this Miami beach, and over there in this and this street and this and this house, there is a Miss C. I want you to give her the ring and make her my wife. And Mr. B goes to Miami Beach and does it. Whose wife is Miss C? Mr. B put on the ring. But he was an emissary for Mr. A. And the law is that Mr. B was not Mr. B. Because when Mr. B took upon himself to be the emissary of Mr. A, Mr. B was an extension of Mr. A's hand. So it was exactly... Mr. A's long hand from North Miami, reaching into Miami Beach, putting on the finger, the ring. So the word shliach means that you're not you. You give up being you, and you're carrying someone else's message. And yet that itself is useless, is what the Rebbe was saying then, if you can't use your own words, if you can add on your own ten faculties. Because the lights of Tohu are worthless to us if we can't bring them into the vessels of Tikkun. The Torah that Moses brought down from heaven, that absolute perfect Torah, is useless to us if it cannot fit into our world of relativity. So when we talk about faith, There comes a time where we need to stop with what the teacher is saying and ask ourselves, what are we hearing? What have I absorbed? It's very interesting. I'm going to go back to this week's Torah portion. In this week's Torah portion, there's a verse over there that says, when God says after they came back and gave the bad report he says how long will they anger me and then God speaks about they have saw they have seen my signs they have seen my acts of wonders why don't they realize that I am capable of committing of of uh, fulfilling my promise let's talk about this for a moment why is God all of a sudden getting so logical? It's very simple. I said, why don't they believe? It's that simple. If God said something to you, done. We expect you to believe it. It's not like, well, why didn't you realize that you're 21 years old, and for the last 21 years he took care of you, and he'll take care of you. Wait, wait, leave alone the logic. It's very simple. God said, we're going into Israel. God said, it's a good land. God said, victory is ours. End of story. But no, that's not what God's upset about Let me take you to another verse in the Tuesday portion of today. God tells Moses, I have forgiven them as you have spoken. As your words. But, God makes an oath. Listen to the oath. It isn't the oath that the people that spoke against my land won't see it. No. It's an oath that those who saw my wonders and spoke against the land, will not see this land. Again, why the issue of saw my wonders, didn't see my wonders? What I'd like to suggest over here is that God is teaching us something. If all I was demanding of you was objective faith, then you do have a defense to present to me. Because objective faith in a subjective human being must be abstract. To quote the Talmud, which you've heard from me from this platform many a times before, that the Jewish thief prays to God not to get caught. He prays to God because he absolutely believes in God. He believes that God's in charge of everything, and he's stealing, even though God said, thou shall not steal. And if you ask the Jewish thief, it's a Gemara. The Gemara says that. Have you asked a Jewish Steve, what are you doing? And he has no problem. What do you mean, what am I doing? Of course, I pray to God. Don't you pray to God that you should be successful in your business? This is my business. I steal for a living. How can you, how can you, how can you have a business without praying to God? Oh, God said not to steal. That's a different story. Because faith is abstract, objective faith that is not tested and subjected to subjectivity of the human of relativity is not real. I shouldn't say it's not real. Let's say it remains abstract. It's an ideology. And for most of us, when we talk about abstract ideology, we're talking about what they call in Spanish, ochala. Ochala is a great way to answer someone. Are you going to put on the phone every day? Ochala. In Hebrew, they say "halavai." (laughs) In English they say, see you later. what it simply means is, oh, if only, if only. I didn't ask you for a prayer. I didn't ask you for a benediction. I asked you for a commitment. Oh, may it only be so. What may it only be so? (laughs) It's amazing. You know, I ask guys, am I going to see you by dominion? If God wants, God willing, God's willing. How about you for a change? How about you being willing? God willing, God's willing. (laughs) Why shouldn't God be willing that you should come to shul? But God-willing is abstract, it's objective, it's absolute. And it's very difficult to put that together with Avrumi-willing. That's already a different story. I've never had anyone ask me that. I never answer that. No, you're going to come tomorrow to learn? Avrumi-willing. <laughs> I never answer that. God-willing very easy, because if I didn't show up, God wasn't willing. (laughs) I told you I'd only be there if God's willing. You believe, right? If God was willing, I would have been there. That's what happens when you deal with absolute. So, going back to tonight's title, faith, is it objective or subjective? It's got to be subjective. It's got to be me dealing with my own personal issues, with my own personal history with God. I've got to work this out personally with God. I can go to another 100 lectures on faith. I can give another 26 lectures on faith. It's all beautiful. But the minute I stand behind this microphone, I put on the hat of objectivity. Absolute, because isn't that my job? I'm not here to tell you what Avrumi has to say. No one's interested in what Avrumi has to say. You're interested in hearing what Avrumi learned in the Torah. I'm not here to start a religion. I'm here to tell you what the Torah says. If I'm here to tell you what the Torah says, what's the difference from his issues? And if I'm having issues, therefore I should what? Shouldn't tell you what the Torah says? Hypocrisy. Now nah, we'll deal with that at a different time. But the bottom line is, the minute I get behind this microphone, I always of a sudden take on the attitude. That my job is to speak only the objective truth. The absolute ideology of Torah. That's what you people expect from me. And what I'm suggesting to you now is, and I've always told you this, your class begins when my class ends. Because if I'm expected to speak the objective truth, this class is not your class. But if after this class you take the objective truth that you hear and now you test it and try to bring it into your subjective truth, now we're talking about reality. Now we're talking about real, real faith. The faith that's going to help you when you have to deal with a bump in the road. Because objective faith doesn't work. Objective faith is there. Objective faith exists within the heart and soul of every single Jew. The Jew that steals, the Jew that doesn't keep Shabbat, the Jew that does any sin in the world. It's in his heart too, and it's in her heart too. And the reason why it could exist and coexist with certain lifestyles that are not absolute and not Jewish is because the faith is only absolute, abstract. It isn't my relative truth. And until I don't become an absolute being of miracles, transcendence, I will not be able to connect on a practical level with absolute faith. But be careful, be very careful, because what you might have just heard was, which a lot of people do, a lot of people do that with the Garden of Amunah book. They make up their own faith. They literally make up their own feelings. Because if it has to be personal and I have to internalize it, well, I believe, according to what I read, that if I do this, and miraculously, if I really believe, the money's going to appear, it's going to be a miracle, and this and that. So be careful. I made it clear before. The message is the Torah's message. The language, the delivery, the absorption is the student's. So let me tell you a very interesting thing. I've always told you that your class begins when my class ends. If you people heard what I said to you today, that when I get behind the mic I turn into Mr. Absolute because my job is to give you the word of Torah, then I hope you understand that my class begins after my class ends. Because if not, I'm a relative, (laughs) that's not the right word, I'm a parrot of relativity, speaking words of absolute. And that leaves all of you with a better chance of really having faith than it leaves me with. So what I'm talking to you about tonight is, That faith must be not objective, but subjective. And I'm explaining it again. The message of faith that comes from the Torah is objective, absolute. But the mission of the Torah is to descend into the realm of relativity and subjectivity. And that is the definition of Mashiach. That is the message absorbed in your own ten faculties. No one will absorb it like you will. Because you're the only you God has ever created. The lights of Tohu into the vessels of Tikkun. The absolute into the relativity. The objective into the subjective. So that tomorrow, when you walk out of this beautiful environment of a shul, and you deal with the realities that you have to deal with, you have what to hold on to. I'm going to close up with one last concept, and I went over time a little bit, it's okay. That, by the way, is the Hasidic art of prayer. That's exactly what prayer is all about. See, it is a huge difference when Chassidim study Torah or when Chassidim pray. When Chassidim study Torah, they're trying to allow themselves to comprehend absolute. But when Chassidim pray, they're trying to fit that absolute Torah into their... Subjective heart of relativity. To study God's presence in your life is one thing. To feel God's presence in your life is a very different thing. Dare I say, to talk to God in prayer is one thing. To hear God listening to your prayer it's a very different thing. The first takes place in objectivity, I absolutely believe. The second takes place in the heart of relativity. That's why Chassidim prayed for hours, for hours, the old-fashioned Chassidim, there they exist today too, chesedin would sit six hours against a wall i'm not talking about pacing back and forth and banging i'm talking about a sitting against the wall for six hours with your face red like a beat tears coming down every once in a while lips moving quietly saying words what takes so long we can say those prayers in 35 minutes if you race through it it was that birthing process Of bringing the absolute into relativity, the infinite into the finite, the abstract into the tangible. Can I feel God listening to me? Can I feel like a son or a daughter in the absolute embrace of my Father, Father in heaven? That's faith. That's real faith. That doesn't happen when all you do in prayer is let your brain be a tape recorder and repeat all the absolute things that you studied in the world of Chesidus. It just doesn't work. The heart doesn't know how to deal with that. It's a very, very different concept. I'll give you one more parable that I heard in the name of the Rebbe. What is more perfect A picture or a painting? Obviously a picture is more perfect than a painting. Then why does a painting cost so much more money than developing a picture? You see, the absolute words of faith is a perfect picture. But when you can absorb it into the heart of relativity... So maybe the lines aren't exactly perfect, but they're so much more valuable. They're so much more precious. They're tangible. So people, you now understand where this class came from and where it's going to. Faith. Is it objective or subjective? Surprise. The answer needs to be subjective. Don't make up your own babamises. Don't wake up tomorrow morning and tell me I read in Garden of the Moon that if I really believe and I open up my window, our bird's going to deliver it. Don't stand here in prayer and stop making up your own feelings. Oh, I feel God. I feel Him. I feel Him. I feel Him all over me. Don't do that. Don't do that. The message is the absolute message of God. We don't make up the message. But the message is abstract and detached to me if it's delivered in words of absolute. It's got to be delivered in my language. I've got to hash it out with God. I've got to personally work through faith with God. That's it for tonight, guys.